Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We are here, episode 157, with Julie Jarnigan. Hello. Hey, how's everything going? Good. Tell everyone where you've been. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that more on story time, but big vacation to Alaska. So jealous. Never been. I hear it's amazing. Everyone says it was amazing. When we stepped out of the airports in New Orleans, when we got home, it was like midnight. It was the first time we'd seen dark because it was, you know, (laughs) daylight all the time there. So we just Mm -hmm. expected to walk out to the cool and all four of us, even my seven-year-old, we stepped out and we all went, oh, because it was just the heat and the humidity. <laughs> We'd forgotten what it was like. like. A sauna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did my fifth grade state book report on Alaska. So it's got a, <laughs> it's got a soft spot in my heart. I had to work on that thing. My, for those of you who don't know, my mom was third grade teacher. My dad was an elementary school principal. So anything that that they saw me work on had to be done. I had to rewrite that thing like 30 times to the point <laughs> I just started hiding pages from them. It was traumatic and I loved it at the same time. That's All funny. right. That's funny. <laughs> Moving on <laughs> to story time. The real story time. This is the part of the show where we tell stories about anything, everything, anything and everything. Mostly markedly related, but sometimes not. Julia. Yeah. Yep. So went to Alaska. It was amazing. I hate to say anything negative about it because it was, it was great. I loved it all. But my story time is, is that a lot of things, we weren't expecting so many things to be closed or altered still because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So we went to the airport on the way back. We were in an airport late. All our flights were packed, but then we came out to eat dinner. Everything was closed. Every store every restaurant Crazy. and they were closing down and they were like, because of COVID. And then hmm. at Denali <laughs> national park, none of the shuttles were running because of COVID. None of the showers or laundry were open because of COVID, which a lot of that is not necessarily COVID per se, but it's shortage of workers, you know, yeah. there's a lot of seasonal yeah. workers. So they probably didn't have enough seasonal workers ahead of time, but everybody would just tell us it's because of COVID. And I think people are starting to get tired of that excuse. Like it's okay if that stuff's closed, but give a little better explanation of what it is because I think it's wearing, you know, every time we would hear that, we'd be like, oh, like <laughs> there are so many people here. How is it still because of that? So just um I think there are still a lot of like residual things that are happening, but we can't how long can we get away with just telling people, sorry, it's the way it is because of COVID. Sometimes you have to give them a little more. And and it's not necessarily a big difference to your point, but saying we don't have enough staff to keep open longer hours is more of a satisfying answer than yes. because of COVID. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like the same was, cop out. That was last year or something. Who knows? That sounds terrible. I, I would have expected that with Alaska. I can see federally funded things because that's different than, say, Alaska, the control, but just the perception, my perception of like Alaska, that's like the wilderness. Like that's like, Everyone carries guns up. This is, I could be completely wrong, but like they got bears. Like there were some entire, like it's a different entire huge lodges that were still had, they had their little wooden bear with a mask on it that said, sorry, be back next year. And And I think what it is is that 
they yeah. get a lot of um, people from even outside of the country to work mm-hmm. in season. And it was probably too late in the year when they found out everything was going to be open, you know, to hire and do everything they needed to do. So I think that's the Makes real sense. reason. But, you know, we got a lot, a lot of because COVID while we were there, but it was wonderful. It was, you know, that's my only It's on my list. Complaint. <laughs> I think it's on everyone's list. Yeah. I think if I were to do, well, no, I want to do a riverboat cruise in Europe, but I have, that's the only other cruisy thing I would want to do is be an Alaskan cruise. I hear those yeah. are we didn't do amazing. a cruise. We rented an RV and then went from place to place. It's like your own private cruise. So. You did a land cruise, yeah. We did yeah. a land cruise. Past the water. And <laughs> thousands of strangers you don't really want to be around. So. Yep. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what do you got? Oh, man. Well, I'm on my, I'm on my third camera. Um, I've gone through the camera journey for everybody. So if you're looking to buy, I think Kevin and I can, can point you in the right direction. But... I don't think I would have ended up at the camera I would have had from the beginning. Like, I think it could like decision-making, like I needed to go through, like, here's this entry kind of like lower cost one, but still has the right features and specs. And I get it. I'm like, I'm just not happy with it. Feels like it's cheap, even though I think that one was like $700 or something. And then I went up from there. I'm like, oh, this one's perfect. Had a wide assortment of lenses. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of limited on this thing. And then I ended up with the last one, which should be, you're probably will laugh. I'm like, there's no reason to get anything different than this one that I ended up with. There's <laughs> yes. There Cue the laughter. No Cue the yes, laughter. It's a great camera. It's Absolutely. great. Like it's, it's amazing like, camera. There's no reason other than like, okay, the net, cause the, the cameras above this would be like the equivalent of like Ferrari or like yeah. the G wagon Mercedes, something that's just like absurd. But this is, you know, this is doing everything that, that, I, that I would ever need it to do. So I don't know if there's no lesson there other than like, I don't want to look at the dollars. Oh, lost. there's so many lessons. <laughs> One, you you did the right thing. You started and said, "Am I going to use this or not?" Mm-hmm. And you and can I always trade up for like five months. And mm-hmm. then I started using it a bit more. Than like, ooh, I really want something better. Yeah, because I, I, I use it every week. Um, shooting at shooting at church, and and then just learning so that if there's builders that want to do more visual content on their own, I on my own want to be able to like, well, I have this camera. Like, I know if I could help you. I could I could know at least know and be comfort. Um, in my brain, like I can't just make things up if I've never actually held uh-huh. a camera in my hand to use and, and all that. So there's a lot of things that are just in my own, own brain. I feel like I need to be able to, to use it. But yeah, I, I had to know what I needed to know what I needed. Yeah. That made no sense. I could listen to a bunch of YouTube videos and tutorials all day long. Like you need this camera, but until you actually go and like, oh, it's not working because of whatever feature I don't have or whatever spec I don't have in that environment. And then you realize like, oh, shoot, I do need that one that was $500 more, whatever it may be. Yeah. The only other way you can really get around that is to rent them. But that yeah, that seems expensive at the outset because you're like, man, I'd have to it use does. this all the time. It probably evens out if you if you were able to swap out yeah. and try lots of different cameras at once or get you know a bunch of different friends that you try. The other thing that's mm-hmm. interesting tying into that, we were talking this past week with someone quite a bit about actual tools around content like cameras and microphones and all those things. And um, it is unlike sports, a true statement to say that you get what you pay for. And what I mean by that is I can go out and buy a 2000 set of, of irons. I am not going to get 10 times better at no. playing golf than my $200 irons. Does that make sense? Correct. Where there is definitely a, a reward for having better gear. You still have to learn how to use it. 
but it's not the same in sports where there's te- like getting a $2,000 digital SLR or a $400 digital camera. It makes up for a lot of what you don't know. You oh, turn it on, definitely. you turn it on aperture priority, <laughs> you point it at something and it looks exponentially better. Yep. Especially if it's only going on social, like it will like, wow, your stuff looks amazing. Like even I, I put a video up a little bit ago um, for the market proof awards and I spent two seconds editing it and that was it. I'm like, this is perfect. Like compared to the, my previous camera, I'm like, oh, like I would have messed with the lighting up quite a bit more. Like it just out of like clicking the button, just throw it on tripod. I was done in like 10 minutes. If that, the last one, I probably would have spent 20, 25 minutes trying to tweak this thing or that thing to try to get mm-hmm. it where I wanted. So I'm like, oh man, if you're filming a house with this camera versus the other camera. Same thing with audio gimbal, too. I mean, everything. if you, if you don't have a microphone, an external microphone, and you're trying mm-hmm. to record from your iPhone, anyone standing further away than about, you know, a foot and a half is not going to sound yeah. good at all. So I think it, it is good. It's a journey worth going through. Yep. Um, would I be one lesson, lesson from the story time. If you have someone, if you're in charge of budget and can spend and you have someone on your team that is producing content and they're not working with pro level equipment, I think it might be a little surprised to, uh, to get them something to upgrade if they're using it frequently Yeah, and they're producing like that. Well, it will definitely make their result significantly better. The other part, and I'm sure Julie, Julie's husband um, works in video and yeah. he does a few. The, I don't know that he, he doesn't have to edit his own videos though, does he? Well, no, they have editors yeah. um, who do yeah. the editing. It's so nice. So he can do people. a little bit of it, but that's not his job. That's the only thing since we're talking about it. When you upgrade your equipment from a photography or a video perspective, oftentimes it does force at least consideration of equipment of your entire editing journey because your yeah. file sizes are much larger. You know, I was talking to someone and they, they had brought a Canon DSLR from home and they were trying to use the work computer to Ooh. take the, yeah. the files off and then do basic editing. And this is a computer who's designed to run Excel. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, yeah, it took, you know, six hours to unload the footage oh just to get it on my hard drive you know, from this 10 minute video shoot, but it was all in 4k, you know, Mm. 30 frames a second. And so it is one of those pits. Yeah. I guess where you you can spend up more than you expect. However, when you look at compared to an advertising expense. Yeah. Throw it in there. And and I was also thinking the other day too, like, um, if someone on your team is, I don't know if we talked about this before, like if they're using their own phone, I'm like, that's still a thousand dollar camera or whatever iPhone they have. Like it's, yes. there's still a cost to that. So I'm like, you can't, I'm like, oh, it's free. And it's still Use a really camera. good camera. It's, it's not still, necessarily yeah, it's really good. good video camera and the audio mm-hmm. is a challenge, but that was someone, someone on the same call was like, well, all I have to use to take pictures is this camera on my phone. And that's not gonna, I was like, well, hold up there. All I, I know, have, I know yeah. I just said equipment is, it makes up, but if you also, if you just learn and study light and shadow and photography basics, you can take really good images on an iPhone. Yeah. Shout out to Ananth at EYA. He's done a lot on his iPhone. He sends it to Box Brownie and you look at the pictures and you're like, yep. Ooh, what are you using? He's like, Oh, it's just my phone. But he is like their level, the mm-hmm. lighting's correct, like all these sorts of things ahead of time. But yeah, there you wouldn't you really wouldn't know a difference. Now if you printed it out like and threw it on your wall, that'd be kind of weird. But like you would notice it then. But 
everything like on your site or Instagram, Facebook, all that. Yeah. Cool. My story is about anxiety and and different people's level of anxiety that, that I'm experiencing uh, across the country, different types of builders. And there's some people who are definitely starting to get anxious. Um, and there's some, the majority of people still are, are, I would say laissez faire, like, yeah, it's, it's getting harder, but we're all good here. And what I would say to try to simplify it is just, it's not going to get much, it's not going to get better from here until the end of the year in terms of consumer interest, uh, traffic levels, appointment levels. It's not going to get any better, but it's also not likely to get much worse. So if you're thinking, man, I've missed the boat on investing and improving processes, my website, et cetera, I don't think that's the case. If you had a good June, I think you're going to continue to to do well from now until the end of the year. The curve has definitely softened out. There was quite a steep drop from February to to Mother's Day in terms of website activity and lead volume, but it's really kind of settled in and it's going down, but it's going down much slowly. So don't kind of just things not to say in an office setting or with others around you is... Oh, well, it's just the summer slowdown. It'll get better. I don't think that's necessarily going to be true because what we had was an extremely compressed spring market. Instead of going from January to May, the the majority of the spring push really happened in January and February. And then it then it started to transition from there. So I, I don't say things like that. And don't also say it's, you know, the end is near and we're all going to be out of business by November because no one's going to buy a house again because it's too expensive. I think yeah, both those terrible. things are things I wouldn't say. The other, the other part of the story time, and I, always, I know I use this analogy for a lot of different things, but again, the little lovey or the blanket that your kids cuddled up with at night to make them feel safe and secure. Builders keep telling themselves and those they're working with that it's all okay because we caused this slowdown. Like we were in charge, we decided to not sell more homes. We decided to raise prices to to find the balancing point. Like we slow this down, it's our fault. And so then they think the opposite must be true that because we slowed it down, we can ramp it back up to wherever we want. And I don't think that's true either. I think you can bring back your ad spend, you can bring back um, your messaging, but your price point is a hundred grand or more. One of our builders, I think on a report I saw was like $230,000 on average, more expensive than a year ago. When you bring the consumer back with your ad spend, the traffic volume might return to similar levels, but the conversion ratio will not be the same when your price point has gone up to that extent. Or if you just don't have that many home sites available, or you have no inventory. So yes, we can affect the eyeballs that make it to the site, but we can't affect the conversion rate to the same degree of agency as when we slowed it down. We could just be like, hey, slow it down. And it was our fault. And yes, we did slow it down, but we can't undo it the same way. We still have to remember to undo the things we did, but don't, again, just lies not to tell ourselves maybe is the theme of this story time portion. Just don't say, oh, I mean, the market's still good. We slowed it down so we can bring it back whenever we want to. Uh, you, You might be surprised if you're not in Texas uh, about that not being the case, but it's okay because yeah. it's not going to get much worse. 
And on undoing what you did, some people are forgetting what they did to undo it. So sometimes you have to step Mm -hmm. back and look at stuff and say, yeah, yeah, what were we doing before all this? Because sometimes we've kind of dug a new trench, you know, and we we have trouble remembering where the old one was. Because there was so many things changed at one time. Right. Yeah, it's true. Let's get rid rid of all call to actions everywhere. Make it harder to contact us and like, oh, what do we do last year? Follow up messaging. There, there were lots of things changed. And I, on one of our calls this past week, we kind of just said, let's just declare bankruptcy and start over, which is a more extreme, it was really more of a point. We're not com- starting completely over, <laughs> but it was that their process had changed so much and their approach to advertising had changed so much that it was just going to be easier to find the reset button back to late 2019 than it was going to be yeah. to go back through the checklist of what do we need to undo? I really like that approach because then you have, you don't have this weird, like two, three month transition data where you don't even know what is what. It's just like, okay, today forward, we are running this. Boom. Mm-hmm. Do it on a Monday, work on it on the weekend, whatever, how, how much time it takes to do it. And I've always felt we can influence behavior and things like that, but we can't control what they're doing. So influence versus control, like we can't tell them and make them buyers do things, but we can help influence their decision-making, but we're still not the one we're not picking up their hands and like signing on the contract. We're just influencing their decision-making. Exactly. All right. Moving on to the news from cnbc.com. U S housing shortage will be around for years to come says Taylor Morrison, CEO. And I, again, I don't, I don't know her personally. I swear this person wants to become the governor of a state or something. (laughs) Just a lot, a lot of, television time, which is very unusual for the CEO of an organization in housing. But she basically is saying with multiple year lows and new and resale inventory, it's going to be very difficult for us to make up the shortage, the deficit that we've been building up for more than a decade now. And essentially the number that typically gets floated around here, I'm guessing it's in this article as well. Um, You guys might have the actual pullout. It's somewhere around four to 5 million homes short that we've underbuilt. Mm Mm-hmm. Over the time 5. period, 5.5 million to 6.8 million housing units. Okay. Yeah. According to a recent report from the NAR National Association of Realtors, 5.5 million to 6.8 million housing units um, under, under building gap. So, someone who I trust more, because remember, one of our core themes of the podcast is always consider the source. Does yes. a home building CEO have anything to gain by telling people on a national? syndicated network about investing that <laughs> housing is going to be red hot for years to come. I mean, you just have to be yeah. a little yeah. cautious about that behavior or just considering the source. A source that I trust much more is Ivy Zellman, who has said not so fast. It's probably more like a million, which that still sounds like a very big number. But when you consider the 40 to $50 billion that's been invested in build for rent, plus home builders ramping up activity, uh, it, it isn't necessarily going to take us 10 years or five years to, to cover that gap if things really start, start moving. And, and especially if we find any way to, to start building affordable homes again. Um, mm-hmm. Those will, by definition, have to be built faster and cheaper than traditional homes. That's the... And that means you could build more of them faster. Yep. 
And will that be Taylor Morrison or will it be a different home building company? Will it be something new will be formed to make these? Yeah. Didn't we say before homes? too, that somewhere, I think it was Taylor Morrison had stated that they were trying to target 40 or 50% of their homes um, built would be for rent um, in the next what was that, so it? many years. I think, I think it was. Now there's other builders who have been in that and space. are those affordable or not? Right. <laughs> That's the big question because, uh-huh. yeah, we talked about this before. This was like a couple podcasts ago. Like typically like where I'm at, like rentals were always more than owning a home. So you wanted to own, not necessarily to like, oh, I'm owning a home, but also like, oh, my monthly overhead is now much lower. The convenience fee, so to speak, of rental was yep. a premium where you are, you're saying. Correct. Yep. And so buying, we could be like, oh, we could spend 400, 500 less per month for the same home. Or the same yeah. size home. Yeah. Or I just think, again, maybe this is why Jackie Lipinski put this order for the news articles. To me, this continues along the theme of lies we shouldn't tell ourselves. Like, whether this is true or not, do we, if we need, if we feel the need to speak this out into the world, it makes me less sure that it's actually true. Like, because why are you saying this? Because there's other signs that this is not the case. So then you say, no, no, look at this number over here. Next decade, easy, smooth sailing, multi-year lows, not enough houses. We're going to be able to overcome all these other obstacles. So, hmm. I don't know. Julie, any, any other thoughts that you have? Yeah, no, it's suspect coming from the source. And just, I think, putting a number out there, I think it's going to be so market-specific, too, um, as far as inventory. That's a great point. Yep. I mean, how can you say that for the entire country? It's all people are going different there's a lot of different things that are going to change market to market. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, big broad it sounds like it's recovering quicker than people expected in New York city, but I doesn't sound like we have a housing shortage in New York city still, right. <laughs> for example. Yep. Right on the money. Good point. Market to market. All right. From KGW channel eight in Oregon, um, <laughs> Oregon bans home buyer love letters. The letters Ooh. could reveal personal information about the buyers that could lead to discrimination or even the perception of it. They're so political that it could. I'm, in my mind, I'm like, it does. Like, right? Isn't that the point of the love letters? Like, it should be extremely personal. And that's so funny. I don't know. I'm just being being suspect of that. Yeah, I'll read a couple of quotes here. The National Association of Realtors has actually advised against them, these letters, uh, mainly because it rides a line of being perceived as violating fair housing rules or regulations. Um, last year, the National Association of Realtors put out guidance discouraging agents from accepting love letters from buyers, but the practice remains popular nationwide. Um, HGTV's fault. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's house, it's house Hunter's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it. To me, it, I, I understand the concern. At the end of the day, I don't. Like you don't know what the seller is looking for. So the appeal is from the person writing the letter. It could be discriminatory, certainly. Um, but I think the biggest uh, goal, I, I don't think the letter says, I am a black, brown couple or I'm a single white male. It's trying to make you feel personal. And, and mm-hmm. it's essentially the, uh, when our internal channel is like, this is what marketers do. We tell stories. I'm telling you a story about me to make myself stand out, mm-hmm. but maybe you don't care if you're a young struggling family. Maybe you just want the most money possible. Maybe you yeah. really 
have a soft spot in your heart for older people and you want an old person to take care of your home like they used to, not like these kids these days. I mean, who? Uh, yeah. How, how do you know what the seller is looking for? You're just telling your story. And your story, isn't your story your story? I don't know. Your stories, yeah, I think that's the, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm like, could I lie? I guess those, if I wrote a letter yeah. saying, as a single, if I was a single male and said, my family of four and my <laughs> my wife and my elderly grandma have been searching for four years. Like, although I yeah. think that letter might get, like, what's that character from Seinfeld, the most interesting man in the world, rip off? Um, oh, Elaine works for him. Yeah, Elaine um, worked for him. And it was like, like, this oh, isn't oh, 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 a jacket. This mm-hmm. is the jacket that so-and-so mm-hmm. wore on the, like. What's this? I can't remember his name. We just. I, I think I think if you wrote a really amazing story, like I've I've worked for the CIA my entire life, and I captured this well-known criminal. I did this. <laughs> that's what I should. That that's a good idea. Make yeah, that, and now I have five adopted five children who have been homeless and are just so anxiously yeah. looking forward to living in this amazing I home you built as well. Like all this. Wouldn't that be the best love letter ever? Yeah, I guess I um maybe I've envy because like Facebook took away our targeting with the because of the risk of discriminatory things. And so I'm like, this has the risk of being discriminatory. So they should get rid of it too. I'm jealous that they could have letters that could <laughs> influence decision making. I think someone no. should, before this becomes completely illegal, create create a business that just helps you yeah. write the most ridiculously oh, interesting love letter possible. That's oh, not I'm- true at all. No one says it has to be true. I'm going to do it. This could be my side hustle. Oh, <laughs> and you get like a percent of the the cost. So like it's free. It's a free letter, but your deal is like, like you right. get half a percent or just something. Just FYI, if you want to, if you want to get the, the sale from the Oakley family, don't write us a letter because any letter, we're just going to be like, you guys are weird. This is weird. <laughs> it's getting just make an offer, I'm, put in your terms. Maybe frame them and it's a I'm gift guilty. to the winner of the home. We have written a letter before and I completely regretted it because then when you go to ask for repairs, you're like, they know that we want this house no matter mm-hmm. what. Mm, so now it's point. too late. Like yeah. all my bargaining yeah. chips are gone now. So yeah. we did this once because our realtor recommended it and I regret it. <laughs> it was but Oregon, not in Oregon. I, <laughs> let's see, what, what is the fine here? Is it just you can't do it? They can't. Who knows? You're gonna kick, I don't get, even know. Uh, kicked out of the National Association of Realtors, or yeah, we 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 bought in 2014 and then 2018. So we we letters in 2014 weren't really a thing. I don't believe we didn't do it. And oh. then 2018, and we bought with KB with the builder. So yeah, it says the seller's agents have to reject the direct communication. So it's up to the, I guess the agent is the one who'll get in trouble. Oh, okay. There you yeah, go. Agent, agents are, they're all like their ethics are perfect. So they would probably <laughs> follow that. Like I, I think I told everyone on the podcast, <laughs> we got a, we got a love letter on our property before we started building. Oh, and it was like, we've driven by, we searched for months and we just keep coming back to your piece of land. And would you sell it to us? I know this is a little bit, and we're like, yeah, it is a little bit creepy. Like you had to look up our information you mailed us a letter. And you're like, we want it more now because we know you want it. And then you yeah. sell it and it ends <laughs> up being a public builder that wants to just build townhomes on it. And you're like, you lied to me. I got yeah. tricked. I, it was just, I just gave him a, a ridiculous number. Like if, if yeah, because mm-hmm. I felt like you started this ridiculousness. You wrote this crazy <laughs> letter. So here's my number that is, you if you pay it, we are all going to be very happy. <laughs> And they're like, that sounds like a little too much. Okay, well. Okay. Building my house on it. Don't write letters. (laughs) From entrepreneur.com, this will be a quick one. Do you remember MySpace and Friendster? This is the history of social media. 
believe it or not, we are experiencing the second boom of social media. And I think the overtone of the article is that there's a lot of energy right now about, well, there's really just Facebook and Twitter. And what else? TikTok, I guess, if you love stupid videos of people doing stupid things, which is entertaining, but I, I... I'm not certain it qualifies as a social network. I, I still have the theory that if the pandemic did not happen, TikTok would not be where it is today. Oh, 100%. Like I it'd be like this. A, it's been around for 10 years, hasn't it? Yeah. It, and there was Vine and there Musical.ly. Like there was other short form entertainment video focused apps that just never took off. And I'm like, it's, it's purely TikTok and people had too much time on their hands because of quarantines and whatnot. And so then that's what accelerated TikTok. But then artists, music artists started producing songs just for TikTok. And then it just catapulted from there. Um, so thank you, COVID, for TikTok. Yeah, so, good. so this idea that the social media is stuck and where you only have these two players and then it's all going to stay the same forever is really what the article is talking about, as well as just our our bias of we don't realize how long, did you say uh, LinkedIn's been around for how 2003, long? 2003, 2003. <laughs> like yeah. when my, yeah, like what in the world? I had no idea it was from 2003. I remember when I graduated college, what was it, 2010? It's my, like my freshman, they're like, get on, get on LinkedIn. You need to be on LinkedIn. You need to start building your profile on LinkedIn, get your recommendations. I'm like, that's weird. And, but then I, of course I did, but yeah, that's like only time I use LinkedIn then was job searching. I can, it definitely still feels dated though. Now, in my opinion, LinkedIn, I like can the way age myself. I, um, when no. I first started on Twitter, there wasn't like a retweet button. You had to put RT before oh, John. Yeah, I remember, remember that. all that. Yeah, that was like old school Twitter back in the day. Yeah, old school. That is. <laughs> so pop quiz for those of you listening. What was the very first social network and what year did it, did it start? The answer is... I read this. Oh, no, hold on. <laughs> That's for you, Will. The answer is in 1997, a social network called Six Degrees was created, which was basically along the theory of Six Degrees from Kevin Bacon. Isn't that the name of the game? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of making it possible to create a network to see how you're connected in the theory of six degree separation. Um, Interesting. And that was after. And then it it went out of business in 2001. So that would have been after message boards. I think all of us who hear the age that we would would have been on message boards, right? Like PHP BB was one of the softwares that was popular. No, just me. I'm a weirdo. Okay. No, I, I shoot. I mean, I didn't use them regularly. I would, when I was looking for information, I would end yeah. up on a message board, but I think most people would say instant messenger aim or ICQ would have been like the, yep. the original way that, that More they social. were connected digitally with others. Mm-hmm. Anyway, interesting article. Check it out in the show notes. Uh, This next one cracks me up because all we want to talk about, the new, I mean, and let's just cover this ground again real quick. Everyone loves to sell you things based out of fear. And one of the biggest sources of fear, which hopefully you understand our position on, but we're going to clarify it a thousand percent more at the summit this year is the whole concept of buy online and what that really looks like and consumers' expectations of it. The other one is the fear of AI and the idea that if a company puts .ai at the end of it, it must be worth paying thousands of dollars for because otherwise Skynet's going to kill you. From cbc.ca, 
Apple or iPod, artificial intelligence hoodwinked by a handwritten note. And they show there might be a couple of things we have to describe. The first is a picture of a, of a green apple on a piece of wood. And then the picture next to it is the same green apple on a piece of wood, but a, it looks like a piece of white duct tape stuck over top of it with mm-hmm. a Sharpie that is written iPod on top of it. And so then, then these AI systems, the one in particular clip is an artificial intelligence system designed by research lab, OpenAI, was convinced that that apple was no longer an apple, but it, it, it knew there was an apple in the picture and it saw the word iPod and said, this must be an actual iPod. <laughs> and Not an iPod. And the other example, and they have percentage, like likelihood that the AI thinks it's accurate. And it shows a picture of a poodle and then a picture of a poodle with dollar signs on it in a couple different places. And then, um, so the, the, the first picture of just the poodle, the AI had a 39.3% likelihood that it was a standard poodle. And there was a 2.8% chance that it was a Bedlington Terrier. So all of these are some form of dog. Okay. Never seen that. And then when you add the dollar signs on it, it has a 52.5% chance likelihood that this image is actually of a piggy bank. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's, piggy bank. And the idea is just a reminder. I think it's, it's a very fun reminder that AI is not as smart as we give it credit for. And it definitely is only smart within a very conf- confined um, area of expertise. And if it goes even a little bit outside of that, it falls apart real fast it's it's nowhere close to a human brain potential even facebook's like think about like how facebook's ad targeting works extremely intelligent and what it does but i'm sure you take it out of that system it's just like you said it's it's awful so in my mind like facebook's ai is is made to find out what i'm interested in what i'm likely to do said action on convert either on the site form submission or click on it on something so they're taking uh-huh. my actions and people similar to me so you could see i think you could in my mind of visualizing like connections of act my actions i've done for the past however many years 12 years on facebook and other people and it's just like connections of what we do and then it's forecasting and guessing what i'll do in the future to me that's simple like how it's made i have no idea that's complex but you could come up with a system that like oh, okay andrew will likely do these things but recognizing images, yeah, it has to be trained. What's that computer vision is Zillow's where they're looking at a picture, analyzing and like, oh, that's a granite countertop. So imagine every little thing that they're trying to determine like, oh, that's a 36 inch cabinet or a 42 inch cabinet. Oh, that has whatever the top would be above a 42 inch cabinet. That's like a foot and a half. It's learning. So it has to learn cabinets and it has to learn countertops. Then it has to learn ceiling height. But like, oh, that's 12, 10, 9, 8. All those little things I asked to train, which is just crazy, like the amount of work needed to do that. Yep. I, I just think it's the positioning of, and the use of AI for positioning as a part of marketing strategy is, is genius in, in the sense there's this tool called Answer the Public, which has been around for, gosh, five, six years or so. And you can put in a term, uh, choose, a, choose an area, and you can get very specific. In this case, I just typed in new homes. But it is taking aggregated data from search engines and forum posts and probably Reddit and other places. And it is showing you, com- this, in this case, 69 common questions that people are, are asking. 
related to that term. So how to buy new homes, where to buy new homes, can you rent new homes, what's new in modular homes, all these different things. And, and now there's all these new systems that are like through the power of AI, you can put in a word and we will suggest to you like common. It's like, no, it's the same. It's the same thing. The AI is not intelligently yeah. doing anything other than looking at the aggregated data and it's maybe picking up. the top three. Yeah, yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a lookup. Look up. Like I just put in Sony a seven three and it's interesting. So like if you were, if we consulted with camera companies, like here's a list of essentially content you need on your website. Exactly. It could be the same thing for, yeah, just like you, the examples you had as far as like, well, oh, they need to make an answer the public dot AI instead of answer the public.com. We'll link to this in the show notes be, as well. It'd be much better. And it would be, they could charge for it. Like this is a ba- mostly free tool and they could charge hundreds of dollars if they it's, just change it to dot AI. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, nice. Our last article for today from bankrate.com. Could 3d printing be the future of home building? Ooh. And I swear we talked about this before. So I think I'll, we've talked about this for like two years now. Two I'll give now. you guys a chance to talk first before okay. I, I go back to my standard Do joke. you talk on this? Because you're, you're in the South with me and hurricanes. And so we're used to concrete. Uh, yeah, there's, well, you don't see much concrete where I where Really? I you am. guys had like Katrina. That was a pretty bad hurricane. Like, yeah, I know. And flooding. <laughs> Concrete's good with water, I think. I, don't I know. was always, and I see this is the, this is the lore part of the episode. I was always told that they did concrete in Florida because of bugs and dampness of the soil. Could be like termites or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Cause what's yeah. that? Like the, the same thing. Like why don't they have basements in Oklahoma where there's tornadoes and everything, right? Yeah. I know that's what I was going to say. A lot of this comes down to, I, I, yes, affordability and yes, but what people are used to is a hard thing to get around. So, um, yeah, this concrete 3D printed home might look halfway familiar in Florida, but if it doesn't look familiar in Oklahoma or Louisiana or somewhere else, I think it's going to take a long time. When they say future, it's got to be future because it's yeah. going to take a while for people like to get past the, yeah. the strangeness of it all. And, and an investment that big, people don't like weird Florida should be the test bed for this. I could think of plenty of cities that are like B markets or second tier, whatever you want to call them, like where they could just build more simple homes that are 150,000 to 200,000 would be affordable over that way. And just like, I don't know, because there's tons of them anyways. Like you go two minutes this way or across my yard over that way, there's two bedroom, two baths that are 1200 feet that look like this home. That home looks a, a lot nicer than those. Well, the, the home with, does, but look, this, look at this picture. Like <laughs> what's with the, I don't know the weeds the and the terrible. Yeah. Like they could have brought a weed whacker and like <laughs> and made it a little bit nicer in like 10 minutes. But, I, I guess the home looks nice. like it's, it's describing it. It's white with, and again, ju- journalism is. anymore is just another form of marketing, yep. but shouldn't this headline, instead of saying, could 3d printing be the future of home building? Shouldn't it say is 3d printing the replacement for concrete block question mark? That's what it should be. Because I don't know. That's what we're talking about. The whole house is not concrete. No. Is this more affordable? Is this cost less to build than a block home down here in Florida? Uh I don't know. I've I've seen when they did our home, I've seen plenty of other homes. Those guys can, they're throwing block in the air. They're slinging the mud around. Like it's 30 minutes later, like, oh, they got the wall up. Yeah. Then that wall, then like it's, it's rather quick, except they're not doing interior walls. This is interior walls with, with block. 
Mm-hmm. One thing I, I do know from I'm trying to get his name real quick, Matt, Matt Reisinger did two really in-depth videos on this process. Uh, he went to one of the the places where they're testing this out. And one thing that before I've, I've referenced these homes as concrete poop homes, because the walls <laughs> as it's being poured to me just looks like concrete poo and the layering effect. It, it looks like something kind of out of star Wars. Like if you, if you colored spray painted it white, it'd be like, this was Luke or aunt. aunt. Oh my goodness. I'm a star Wars freak. This is not good. Uncle Owen and aunt Maru's house. Whew. Yeah. Uh, you know, like if it could be built in a dome shape, like they must've used that to build it. You can, uh, for, as, as a premium, pay to smooth out that, that cement. So I guess as it's going, someone's coming back through with a trowel and kind of smoothing it out. So you don't have to have that, that ribbed effect to yeah. the home. It's like you're building a sandcastle by Florida sandcastle talk right now with like kind of like a slurry and it just letting it drip is essentially what these things look like in your uh-huh. that way, which I don't, I think it could have like a modern look. I don't know. But yeah. that's, I think that's the point. Like if you could, I don't know, I think like, is this a solution for more affordable homes? And we need a lot of them doing those things than just is the opposite of the intent. But I guess if it's low cost enough, then don't worry about it. Yep. All right. That'll do it for, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, there's no, more. No, no, no. Wait. We got to answer. <laughs> we got to get to your answers from last week's question of the week on our live episode that we streamed. Let me pull those up oh, yeah. here. That was a lot of fun, though. The live episode. We were on the spot. No edits, no everything. Like, you better go. <laughs> um, the question was, will your next new community launch be selling inventory homes when they are further along, or will you still allow pre-sales? Or said another way, are you going to launch a new community as you typically would? Or because of everything going on right now, are you going to hold off and not do a traditional launch but just say, hey, this home is available for purchase when it's further along or in process and not let people make all their selections and, and do all of that. And um, so far, it is uh, 75% of you, it looks like, are saying you're going to do some form of inventory. So you're not going to say, here's 24 home sites, first come, first serve, pick everything. Only um, only 25% of you say we're going to continue to allow pre-sales. That's really interesting. A um, couple of the comments here. Sean Giddon says both 50% pre-sold and 50% inventory homes sold after drywall. Laura OMB says close to this as well. So they're going to have some have your cake and eat it too. A couple pre-sale opportunities and then inventory uh, as well. Uh, Jake says only listing it in-house, not putting an MLS until near completion. That's an interesting approach to try to save commission there. And then Tracy says we'll have our first take of production homes starting the same time as our model. So we'll have a nice selection of inventory by the time we are open to sell. Okay. So mm-hmm. it seems like inventory is still the way that, that people are trying to maneuver through this with delays and, and commodity issues, which makes sense. But I, I kind of, that was, would have been the number I probably would have guessed based upon our conversations with the builders. But I, I'm always wondering, is it just, the builders that we attract at Do You Convert to work with, or is it kind of broader? And it seems like it is broader. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and every el- everywhere else we are online. Get all those words out. All right. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> see ya. Bye, guys. Bye.